0: You're listening to Innovating Smart, stories of sustainability for tomorrow's innovators. Explore all of our stories at innovatingsmart.org. What is smart? Smart is system savvy, managed intelligently, adaptive, regenerative, and trusted. These are our design principles for a sustainable world. Hi, my name is Natalie Forsythe. My background is in art and education, and I am currently spending my time and energy to advance sustainable change. Today we are speaking with Kevin Sures, the CEO of Sirius Materials, which is a material manufacturing company focused on high-tech solutions that reduce energy consumption in the built environment. We're so happy to have Kevin Sures here with us today, the CEO of Sirius Materials. As buildings contribute to over half of all carbon dioxide emissions, creating high-quality and efficient building materials is a clear contribution to the sustainability movement. Kevin, what was your true inspiration in uh, deciding to become part of the Serious Materials community?
1: Well, um, you know, uh, Serious Materials actually started as as a company called Quiet Solution at the beginning, and we were doing a number of products, including our Quiet Rock drywall. Uh, which replaced lots and lots of layers of other drywall. And we found that that had a, actually a CO2 impact, uh, not in the operation of the building, but in the way the materials were used, because you could use maybe only 20% of the materials that you were using otherwise. And uh, But by the time Gore's movie came out, it became clear that climate change was a serious issue. When you looked at the EIA data, it became uh, DOE, uh, the Energy uh, Information Administration, below the DRE, DOE, excuse me, it, it became clear that. Buildings were huge. I mean, buildings are are the big kahuna. Forty percent of uh, the world's CO2 is really tied to the operation of buildings on a worldwide basis. About 12 percent to the manufacture of building materials because they're the biggest, most massive things we make every year, whether it's bricks or concrete or drywall or glass or whatever, metals. And then lastly, uh, you know, just in comparison to that, cars are only 9 percent. And that's always a surprise to us in the U.S. because we use our cars so much. And in the U.S. it's a much bigger number than that. It's more than double that. But, in the, but when you look at CO two as a worldwide problem, cars are nine percent, buildings are fifty two percent, including the making of building materials. Wow, wow, there's a lot of work to do there, <clears throat> and so uh, uh, that was really the inspiration. That's when I woke up and say, you know, when now that I know, now that I understand what's going on from a climate perspective, what are my kids going to say about me in twenty fifty, um, and I want them to say, Dad did the best he could.
0: Absolutely. Now, in the process of uh creating the building materials that you are, you're clearly focusing towards making sure that they're as efficient as possible what else are you focusing on in the sustainability spectrum?
1: Well, in sustainability for us, what we first of all, it's all about energy. We think energy is the high order bit. It, it is not <clears throat> that there's that you can ignore the, the chemical aspects of the chemicals we put in our bodies and the chemicals we put into the ocean and the plastics that are floating out there and all the other things. And so you got to try to address those. But sometimes, you know, there's trade-offs. And so the high order bit for us is address the energy and the CO2. Uh, you know, CO2 was in the ground it was meant to stay in the ground as oil it was buried there millions of years ago and somehow you know stupid humans we went and burned it and released it from the ground where it was perfectly fine and stable put it in the air where it is now a poison to us in one way or the other so this was a dumb idea uh, but when we look at materials of course we've got windows we've got our cirrus energy manager platform which is a SaaS or software platform we've got our our drywall products and other insulation products coming down the line, etc. Uh, so we really look at how do we save energies in energy in the operation of buildings, or how do we save energy in the manufacture of materials? And through that process, of course, everyone is always looking at you know, do we have to use solvents? Can we use aqueous? Can we use less water? Can we use the most most safest you know chemical additives when they're needed that we can that are possibly available today? Can you stay away from? Flailates, which are uh, um, uh, plasticizers that are very dangerous that get into our bloodstream and our water, etc. So we are really, really working towards that. Bill McDonough is on our board, uh, wrote Cradle to Cradle, of course. He is a constant reminder to me almost weekly that we have to look at every single thing we do and make sure that everything we do make can be recycled on the other end into something that is very useful.
0: Absolutely, and that becomes really, the great scale at which buildings uh, exist on this planet. Mm -hmm. Um, Along with scale, policy must really come into play a lot with the work that you're doing from uh, the reading that I've done about your company and just about building in general as far as sustainability goes. There's great opportunities for um, incentives and different things like that. How does that play into your...
1: Well, yeah. Okay, so the question about policy is is fairly interesting. Um, contrary to popular belief, we've actually received no money from the government. I I, I see articles out there and and uh, sometimes uh, television and news stories that well, the you know a big you know winner of the Recovery Act or something else is serious materials. We never got a dime. <laughs> so <clears throat> so I'm glad people think we did. <clears throat> I wish people thought we did and we did, but we didn't. Right. Um, so in fact, we've had to build a business that is. Uh, One is devoid of sort of a lot of money coming from the government, uh, although we got some potential future tax break on on expanding equipment, but that's about the only thing. But the second thing is, is policy is another issue. I mean, we really wanted uh, cap and trade or carbon taxing or energy efficiency policies. Those didn't happen. And I think they're unlikely to happen in the next few years. We've got a serious budget issue in D.C. and in all the states. This is uh, this is driven by a lack of manufacturing, a lack of exports from the United States. We can't pay back our bills. It's a longer conversation. But the net result is we have a serious, serious issue that's not going to solve itself. So I don't think people can look to, to D.C. for handouts in any way. And I don't mean handouts like free, but even sort of tax breaks for doing the right thing. They've just got to try to get their house in order and cut costs. So we've got to look at it another way and say all of these products have to pay off. So for us, the most important part of green is the green that the customer saves. The dollars the customer saves. If they're going to save money using our products, using our services, uh, you know we win and they win. And that's what they have to see, a fast payback. Two years, three years, four years, five years.
0: And you are finding that level of payback with your products?
1: You know, well, our products all up have been in 70,000 projects now. Uh, people, of course, know about the Empire State Building. It's the most well-known building in the world. And we replaced all the windows in the Empire State Building. So 26,000 panes of glass, 50... Uh, 6,514 windows, uh, but, uh, but there were 69,999 other products, projects at least, including some Mrs. McGillicuddy's homes and passive homes and, and major uh, uh, structural, you know, commercial buildings and municipal buildings, et cetera. None of those people are buying our products without an ROI of some sort, uh, and most of those are an energy-based ROI where they're saving money over a shorter period of time. Our Sirius Energy Manager platform, which is an energy efficiency platform to monitor and manage and control buildings, is already in 60, well, we've announced it's in 60 plus buildings, it's in more. And, uh, um, uh, you know, we're seeing savings of 15 and 20 in some buildings, 30 percent without changing anything but changing the way the building gets used and controlled. Well, that technology didn't even exist till mid last year. I mean, it just wasn't there. And this is a SaaS platform. You can put it in and save money. We've seen people get their money back in three months unbelievable.
0: That is a really remarkable innovation yeah. right there. Yeah. Absolutely. So obviously there's a lot of uh, underlying technology and science that goes behind all of your materials. Um, what's the most exciting part of that process for you?
1: <clears throat> well, the most exciting part of the process at one time was probably me in the lab because you didn't know if I'd blow something <laughs> up, right? Uh, today, we've got great people in, in, in all in our coatings fields, in our in our, in our polymer area, in our mechanical engineering area, in our industrial development area, in the machinery, in all those areas is just great people. So uh, look, I love the innovation process and innovation is about uh, letting people know they can take risks. In fact, we want to encourage people to take very big risks. Please take a risk. I know you, we may not always get to the end result, but it's okay. Take risks. And risks equal innovation. Um, corporate America has a hard time with that. Corporate America is, Sort of fallen a little bit <clears throat> into uh, non-disruptive innovation. It's sort of innovative, but you know they go from a white product to a pink product. We need to really be innovative. We need to stay innovative. So I like the innovative process, the disruptive innovative process. Um, nobody is more disruptively innovative than Steve Jobs at Apple. I think that's a great, great moniker for us to follow, and uh, and take his lead in in willing to step up and say, look, I'm I'm willing to do something really unique that nobody's ever done before, and it's very exciting and Um, And it's going to be disruptive to the industry. Trust me. Let's go. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Of the many innovations that Serious Materials has put out, what is the one you're most proud of?
1: Well, the ones I'm most proud of, I can't talk about yet because they're not out. (laughs) They are the most sophisticated. Yeah. (laughs) We've got things coming along that are just unbelievable. It's just so exciting. It's just so exciting. Uh, I'm proud of all of our products. I mean, our Quite Rocky S has no paper in the middle. It's easy score and snap. It's a fantastic innovation. Our higher value windows, um, the, the fiberglass framing that we do now, our, our fiberglass technology out of our plant in in, uh, in Manitoba is just second to none. We have six plants in North America now, so uh, plus the software development in India. Uh, so, uh, you know, all of these innovations are amazing. The software, the technology and the software is amazing, what we're doing to control buildings, to control uh, you know, the HVAC and the lighting and, and, uh, and, and vents and, you know, sort of a whole variety of other things that nobody even thought could be massively controlled. We've got one building, there's 5,000 sensors in. We take 300 megabytes in of data a day that's run through algorithms and analytics and finally control that actually, you know, is driven. That, that was a lead Platinum building. It drove 13% savings in a lead Platinum already just commissioned building. There shouldn't be any more savings you can wring out. And software found 13% the humans couldn't find. That's how it should be that's really great yeah
0: that's fascinating absolutely there must be many different people that you work with on a daily basis how do you find it to work with interdisciplinary teams on a project as complex as, <coughs> as uh,
1: sustainability well uh it's fun obviously i think all things are interdisciplinary today to get products out um you know i mean i'd like to see us get our products through the process faster than we do uh, i think that uh you know, that's a challenge. Uh, the, the big challenge for us for all of our teams, interdisciplinary or not, is that people are so busy that uh, to take time out to do the innovative stuff is is hard. We've got a business that, you know, other people's businesses are, are down 60% during the downturn or 80% during the downturn, and we've grown every year. But we grew almost 100% uh, year over year over last year, 100% growth. I mean, if anyone's ever been in a company... It's this size that's 400 and some odd employees today that's growing at 100% a year. You know, we doubled our employee base in a year. We doubled our revenue in a year. It is absolutely, you know, sort of crazy. And so in the midst of that craziness, you've also got to take time and say, great, we got to get these six new products out this year. How do we do that? How are we going to innovate? How are we going to take the time to give the thought that has to be put around it? Um, so I love interdisciplinary teams. I mean, again, we have our polymer people. We have our mechanical people. We have our salespeople and our marketing people and our GMs and and, and legal and everybody's got to get around these things. And uh, so it's fun. uh, It's challenging. It's frustrating sometimes because you want things to go faster, but it's important to get that buy-in. It's important to have the right people around it.
0: What do you find the key obstacles in the work that you do?
1: Well, there's really only one key obstacle in growing this entire field that is growing energy efficiency in buildings, which is what we do. The key obstacle is most people don't have the money right now even if it saves them all the money back in three years. <clears throat> they just don't have the upfront initial cost. They don't have the money. Without that initial money upfront it can't be done. It just can't be done. And so uh, you know that's one of the, the great sadnesses uh, that we saw over the last year where PACE, Property Assessed Clean Energy uh, uh, funding, uh, got sort of put to the wayside by Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And, and so that uh, that would have solved this problem. So I think we've got a serious issue in figuring out how that gets solved. But if, if, if in time that can get addressed, then people can do much more in the way of energy efficiency retrofits. Because, uh, you know, even if they're going to save a million dollars over three years, they don't have the million dollars today. Because for them, they pay their power bill 100 a month. They, they, don't, they don't have a million dollars in cash today. So they don't, they don't even know what to do, they, they just don't have it.
0: Absolutely. Innovation requires a special kind of leadership. Obviously, you've been recognized as one of those kinds of leaders as uh, Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year last year, which is uh, a great title to receive. It's an honor. Indeed, absolutely, must have been uh, very exciting. Um, how do you feel, as the CEO of this company, that you are actually leading the innovation of all of these people,
1: all of these scientists, all of these thinkers, designers? <clears throat> so disruptive innovation <coughs> disruptive innovation probably has to come from the top. It could come from a CTO or something. It's going to have to come from either the CEO or something, someone very close to the CEO. And the reason is, as you get down into an organization, we talked about risk earlier, um, it's great to be innovative. It's another thing to be disruptively innovative. And to be disruptively innovative, you have to be willing to lose your job. You have to be willing to take a big risk, a big leap of faith. Steve Jobs has always been willing to do that. That's why he's disruptively innovative. And we can think of other people who are, uh, Bill Gates was disruptively innovative. Uh, but as you get down in an organization, as much as we you know, support that concept, it's pretty hard for people to think way outside the box. They're, uh, they've got shame. They, they, they're afraid of ridicule. Um, uh, you know, they're afraid that their boss is going to find out they said something goofy in a meeting where they thought it was smart and people started laughing at them because they're thinking outside the box. So, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I think, I happen to think it's core to being a disruptively innovative company is at the CEO level, you should know your technologies, you should know them well, um, you should be able to take those risks you should be able to convince your people that those risks are worth taking that we may not succeed but they're worth trying and you should support that innovation all the way down all the way down the line to the janitor who's here and you want him to be innovative in the way he's cleaning the place seriously so disruptive innovation is hard it's got to be driven from the top from what I've seen Uh, I personally because of my engineering background I'm always looking for the next best thing And and, and I listen to customers every day hear what their needs are Customers don't come up with products, but they certainly tell you what the problems are. And sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go, now I know how we can solve this problem. And I'll come in and people will say, you're crazy. I said, yeah. Yeah, but you're the CEO. You really want us to do this. Yeah. See, someone else couldn't do that. An engineer in a group couldn't come in with an absolutely crazy idea because he'd be afraid that his boss and his boss's boss wouldn't support it, even though he knows I would support it. So it's okay to seed those ideas from the top and let, let, then let the engineering teams go do the real hard work, right? It's easy to seed an idea. It's, it's two more or three more years of work maybe to get the product out, so don't underestimate all the work that's got to be done. But you drive disruptive innovation from the top. That's how you do it.
0: Absolutely. Your products have already certainly uh, cre- created great leaps in the efficiency of building um there is a further evolution in that process. What do you see, to the degree that you can speak about it, as the next steps? Where is this evolution leading to?
1: I can't speak much to it. I know, but I will just <laughs> tell you that whatever we make today will save more energy tomorrow, or whenever tomorrow is—months from now or years from now. Fair <clears throat> you know, we're continuing to march the the technology uh, forward and. Uh, we think that all buildings in America can easily save between forty and sixty percent of their energy usage, with uh, just three or four or five low-hanging fruit sorts of items, especially over the next year as more technology comes out. So we're very excited to be a major leader in that space.
0: That existing buildings can do that. Existing
1: buildings, yeah. Ignoring ignoring new new build is so small in comparison to existing right. buildings. It's it's all well, about EB. Yeah,
0: and you know the most sustainable building in some ways is the one that's already built. So. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Great. Um, so here at Innovating Smart, one of our core concepts that we try to get to with everyone that we speak to is our, the hero's journey, what you're going through, the fears of failure, the commitment to something you believe in, the frustrations, the challenges, <clears throat> and the great joy that come from doing innovative work. Do you speak to
1: that experience? And- yeah, well, I, I'd say you know some of this ties to startups, right? I mean, the first few years of these of, of this company of serious materials, first of all, I thought it was going to be a hobby, didn't think it was going to be a company. So you know, to lay it on the line, I failed miserably, right? <clears throat> Second of all, for the first several years, uh, myself and a couple of other people who were involved uh, early on, Mark Peratt, et cetera, you know, we wrote checks to, to fund the payroll and to fund everything else. <clears throat> so that meant that you know we really had no money most of the time it was you know everybody was starving and people had to work for nearly free and and we had a you know stave off vendors uh, who wanted to collect and you know you spent most of your time just watching every penny I mean every penny you know I remember one of our guys needed a you know a little USB uh, memory you know thing for the computer and uh, you know at the time it was you know $12 Twelve dollars or fourteen dollars down the street at fries, and I, I had to say no. We don't have the fourteen dollars at the very beginning of the company. My wife was running the uh, the print uh, team here um, to, to to get uh, print information out to the architects, binders, and such. <clears throat> she came home. She said, "We, you know, we need we, we need more binders. They're they're going to be five thousand dollars. We've run out." I said, "No, we have to make payroll." And she said, "Don't you love me?" I said, "No, no, no. I love you." but we, we gotta make payroll. Well, if you loved me, you'd get my binders. Well, no, no, no. Well, you don't respect the work I do. No, I respect the work you do. So this was a good lesson. You know what the lesson is? Do not work with relatives, okay? Especially one spouse. Uh, we laugh about it, so I can, I can say this on video and such, but, but she, is, uh, she was a, a great sport, and, uh, and uh, look, you know, um, great innovation comes out of people who uh, are willing to take these risks and are willing to do it, and it's very hard early on to prove that, you know, what you want to do is going to work. We didn't take any venture money for the first four years. So, you know, everybody starved and that's okay. That's what it was meant to, be. you know, most people didn't make paychecks and they work for stock, et cetera. So, uh, so there's that. And then, uh, and there's going to be a lot of ridicule in the marketplace. I mean, there's going to be people in old line markets who are going to laugh at you and say, you can't do this. It's impossible. What are you trying to do? Uh, they're going to come right up to your face and say, why I've had calls that say, why are you doing this? We, we have people who have worked in, in, as a family here for you know, three generations. You're hurting us. You're taking our sales away. I, literally, they say this. I'm going, isn't that what you know, <laughs> capitalism is about? I, I don't know. I, uh, this isn't communism. I'm supposed to take your sales away. I've got to take someone's. Uh, so you're going to have all kinds of uh, interesting feedback. But you know my view is you set your goals, you set your priorities. You hire great people. You let those great people truly run the company, by the way, far more than me today. And, uh, and you set the vision and you just plow forward, just keep plowing forward. And then you set the vision higher the next year, you plow forward some more. And that vision can include advanced technologies. It can include, uh, uh, you know, revenue. It can include profit, it can include whatever you want.
0: How have you had to develop your own personal skill set in order to do this job here?
1: <clears throat> How have I had to develop my own personal skill set? Well, the first thing is when I walked in, I didn't know anything about construction materials. I had hung some drywall and... And, 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 you know, pro- I did put a window and <clears throat> once, uh, but, uh, yeah, my, my knowledge was very minimal. Uh, so I really had to really beef up on that and really learn a lot about this new field. I love learning new fields. So for me, it was great. I remember we couldn't afford any polymer uh, engineers. So for, for, for the first six months, I studied polymers. I had to study just on the web and, and, and uh, uh, you know, courses that you can find, information you can find in and, uh, and uh, patents that were out there, et cetera. And I needed to study the polymer arena. So I understood what we could do and what we couldn't do with polymers. I, I, I probably took half a class one time somewhere in college, but didn't know much. Um, so I really had to learn a whole new field. And uh, while I'm a, an engineer by training, I'm an electrical engineer. So I've got a, a brain that may tick like an engineer, but, but I, you know traditionally I was doing more software and hardware than than things we do today. Now today uh, you know one of our big pillars uh, one of our three sort of major divisions is Sirius Energy Manager Sirius Energy and that's the software division so we actually do have a a big chunk of software today but but I did have to learn a lot about these areas and uh, and uh, and I enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Great. What wisdom might you have for the young professionals that are trying to become more engaged in sustainability regardless of their field?
1: Mm-hmm. Well first of all I think every field is going to have Major elements of sustainability. So you better know this field, and this by this field, I don't mean the building products field or something like that. But, but uh, all products will have a sustainability element. I think all products will have an energy saving element, either in the manufacture or the usage or both. It's just the, the way the world's going to go. This isn't arguable anymore. It's sort of unknowable, and I think it's going to take a little longer because, uh, you know, in DC we don't have the policies that we probably would have liked to potentially have. Uh, but we'll get there. You know, Europe is already there. They're cognizant to all these issues. Arguably, uh, Australia has been there for a while and, and we'll, we'll come along as well. So I, so whatever field you, as I, as I, when I speak to entrepreneurs out there, I so say whatever field you're in, when I speak, you know, take some things that are usable in your field. It doesn't mean in your building, just in your field. What are some of the ideas? What are some of the things we did? How did we, you know, how did we inspire our employees? How did we inspire our customers to buy from us? You know, how did we do that? What can you learn from this? And you can do the same thing because sustainability is an inspiring field because you're not just making money. You're actually impacting the rest of the earth, the rest of the planet for the rest of all time to come.
0: Do you have any questions you would encourage the young professionals to
1: ponder? Yeah, if you're, if you're going to start a company, one that's innovative in a new field, are you really sure you want to work 120 hours a week for many years? Elon Musk uh, did a, an interview recently uh, for, for uh, Bambi at, at Vader, and, uh, and, he, and then she asked him, you know, what makes you a good or great entrepreneur? He says, well, actually, you know, I work 100 to 120 hours a week. And, uh, and uh, by doing so, I've done by April what everyone else has done the rest of the year, the entire year. That, was, uh, that just struck me as very profound and very true. Um, I, I've certainly met lots of entrepreneurs that say, "Well, if, you know, I'll work 50 hours, but I'm, you know, I'm, I can't do more than that. I got a family, I got this, I got that." Please, you know, I love balance of life. And please take time. And I'm not saying this is for everyone, but if you think you're going to be successful in something like this, as successful as Elon has been and others have been, this is a 100 to 120 hour a week thing. You may not be working at the office all the time; it might be at home. But you're going to be up at 6 a.m. and you're still going to be up at 2 a.m. You're gonna get a little sleep in between and you're gonna do it again the next day. You're gonna do it probably seven days a week, sometimes six. Once in a while, for three days you'll get a vacation, go somewhere with your spouse or family or whatever. That's what a startup is. And you're gonna do that for many years. Not a year, not six months, many years. So if if you wanna be married to this thing, do it. And if you can do that and you have it in your life to do it, please do it, because we need you. But if you don't think that's for you, please go work somewhere because you're not going to be successful and you're going to stand around and go, but I'm smarter or I'm this or I'm that, it, it, you know, but yeah, you're competing against someone right next door who is putting in that kind of time. And I didn't say life is fair. It isn't fair. But, uh, but I certainly put in that time. Much of the team here, certainly in the earlier days, put in that kind of time, and that's what it really took to get to this level.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like us to know?
1: Oh, I think you know plenty. <laughs> Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for your time. Thank
0: you. Thanks to Kevin Sures for talking with us today. Visit Serious Materials at SeriousMaterials.com. I am Natalie Forsyth. This story was produced by myself, Alex Kawashima, and Christopher Gonzalez, and directed by Sue Liebeck. Music courtesy of Triplexity, with support from Sustainovation, Business for the World We Share, Silicon Valley Innovation Associates, and Starnet, Harnessing the Power of Partnership. This has been Innovating Smart, bringing you stories of sustainability for tomorrow's innovators. Explore all of our stories at innovatingsmart.org.